Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, TJ, Sam, and I talk about the hot topic of games approach coaching and discuss the benefits and hurdles of this teaching method, what makes it work, and how it can increase your efficiency in practice, as well as how it's misused and may even hurt your player's development. Join in the conversation and better apply a games approach in your upcoming practices. Before we start, a quick word from PGC Basketball. Coach, one of the easiest ways to make your offense work and win more games is to have a team of lights-out shooters. But most coaches don't have time or don't know how to create a team of deadly shooters. That's where PGC's Fall Weekend Shooting College Camps come in. We'll equip you and your players with the coaching mindset, mechanics, footwork, and training plan every player needs to increase their shooting percentage. If you're tired of not having a team of knockdown shooters who can shred any type of defense, bring them to a shooting college weekend this fall. We have 46 fall camps nationwide, so just go to pgcbasketball.com to find a session closest to you. Over 1,500 coaches attend PGC camps each year, and spots are limited, so reserve your spot today at pgcbasketball.com. Coaches, welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. We got the full team here today. We have myself, we have Sam, and we have Lisa. And we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of the game approach to coaching. And really, this came from a conversation that we were just recently having on how people misuse the game's approach. We've also had speakers at our clinics on how to use the game's approach. And so, you know, I think like a lot of things, it really is context. And when we talk about something like zone defense, like that's context. It's easy to jump on board of no zone defense, but really there's age stage appropriate players. There's a whole bunch of things that go into that and no different with the game's approach. And, you know, to be honest with you, Guys, I think a lot of times where coaches miss the mark is context. And I think games approach is really no different. And today we were working out with our team and we were working on some defensive stuff. And we went through the games approach to get started. And it was easy for me to identify really quickly in our games approach that we did not have the necessary skills to be successful in it. So there's a lot of things we can do. We talked about like, you know, Molly Miller uses the word skinnies. How do we use those within practice? We can break it down outside of another practice and go work on those skills so that the games get better. There's a whole bunch of things, but there's a lot of common mistakes coaches make. Like we'll just roll with the games approach and they're not able to teach through the games approach. So we're going to break all that down in today's episode. Before we get started, I want Sam, I'd like to give our coaches a definition of the games approach. So if you were to define like kind of what is the games approach, because some coaches listen and may not be really familiar with it. How would you describe it to coaches? A games approach would be a tactical way. You're going to work on something in practice to achieve a desired outcome. Let me, let me speak more coach speak here. Um, you're going to, you can play a one-on-one, a two-on-two, a three-on-three, four-on-four, all the way up to five-on-five, any sort of game, that you're trying to work on maybe your offense, maybe you're working on passing and cutting within the reading rack. Maybe you're working on ball screens. Maybe you want to work on a particular skill, TJ, like catch and shoot, catch reads on the catch. So you would utilize a game to draw out that skill, that habit, or even the system habits and skills you need in your program. So in contrast, a traditional approach might be work doing a lot of drills that build up into developing everything I just mentioned, the skills and the habits. So a games approach is playing some sort of competition to produce an outcome you're looking for. 
All right, so let's let's dive in. At least I got a question for you about the game's approach as far as like things that you think are good about it. And then, Sam, you follow it up as well. So let's start the first half of this episode talking about why the game's approach can be really good. And then the second half, we'll talk about some things to be aware of in the game's approach, how you can miss things and how it could be misused and how it might actually not help your team, might actually harm your team. So, Lisa, just give me some reasons why you really like the game's approach. I think a great place to start is to always think about that uh, commodity that's on our minds is time. How do how can we be more efficient in our practices, more efficient in our season planning and making sure we're getting everything in before our first game? And so games approach is a great way to do that. And I just saw recently uh just watching a practice where they did some really great three on O breakdowns and they were able to get, you know, a lot of shots that comes out of, you know, certain actions within their offense. And I think that's a good practice in order to make sure you're getting shots that match up with those in the game. And I mean, you know, on a three on O situation and when you're doing the breakdown, you get two or three shots per rep. So that's good. But what's unfortunate is when you think you're working on the action and you're trying to teach it and you're getting reps over and over again that really aren't game-like. So when they transitioned into the 3v3 part of the practice on that same action, they actually had to stop it. They had to teach it. Okay, here's where the defense is going to be. This is how you have to set the screen. This is how you have to cut. All these different pieces, you know, now you're getting held up in that on that 3v3 side where you really wanted to focus on playing games and being competitive um, now you have to stop and teach more. And so as, instead of spending 10 minutes on three on O and 10 minutes on three V three, that could have been broken down into, you know, five minutes on three on O getting shots up and then right into the game. And I think they could have been more efficient or however we like to do it. I just think that the thinking about games and approaches is an opportunity to be more efficient in our teaching because we're going to context right away. It can be really helpful. I know we're just getting started, but that's the first place I go with it. Yeah. Sam, what about you? Well, I think there's five big reasons why you would use a games approach. Number one, uh, it's pick up basketball is the greatest skill development teacher. So pick up, yeah, going outside and playing pickup allows us to develop skills. Number two, kids have more fun playing games. I said it pre-show, I said if all three of us walked into a practice and said, all right, players, today we're going to work on our shooting or we're going to work on our offense do you guys want to do drills or do you want to do games 100 of them and i've done this would would say let's play games so kids have more fun uh can i do a 2a here so number two 2a so when they're having fun they're more engaged they're having you know a better time they feel more empowered as players number three lisa mentioned it you cross train you you have more efficiency in your practice because when you're Working on playing a game, you usually have offense and defense, so you're cross-training skills. Number four, you have competition right away, and I believe competing is a skill and the number one skill, so we're having competition. And the fifth reason is it simulates the game. Uh, Drills don't always simulate the game, so those would be five, the power five reasons on doing games approach. So let's break that down a little bit. Each one of these five positives that you identified and drill a little deeper into the example that Lisa gave. But uh, so to learn to play the game, yeah, how are they in the game's approach learning to play the game? Like what are how do we ensure that that's happening? So, for example, I've seen a lot of players play pickup forever and ever and just build bad habits and actually not get better. Right. But there are things that they do get better at. So what are some things if they're learning to play that we're hoping that they get from this, Sam? 
Well, it depends on what we're working on. So we can go dial into very specific, but let's talk first about constraints and violations. So you can put constraints on a game to draw out an outcome, or you can put violations. Let me give a couple of examples. A constraint would be the most common one you, people would be familiar with are dribbles. Hey, you can only dribble it twice when you catch, or you only get to make three passes. That means they have to learn how to be a playmaker and create for their teammates. A violation, and we do this at our PGC, so uh, is, hey, if you catch the ball and you don't look at the rim or what we call peak, boom, whistle is blown and you have a violation, it's a turnover. Or you attack the rim and you don't go off of two feet around the basket and kid takes off of one, it's a violation, it's a turnover. Uh, I forget your question, TJ, but those are the constraints and violations. What was the question? Yeah, I was just talking about your first point was learn to play. And so, like, how are they learning to play? Like, the positives and negatives. that Because the negative of it can be, you know, we all – I mean, we've all watched really bad pickup basketball where people aren't playing hard. And so, I think your answer, the restraints, is to ensure that they're actually learning to play. Like, you're trying to put in rules and things to make sure that they're not just playing ugly pickup basketball. Yeah, and I, so I was on court this morning with a team and, and a high school team here in Georgia – and the coach really wants to grow them in their transition offense. So a game that we played was we played a five-on-five-on-five game where we had a team of five on the sideline. And essentially, when they're coming up the court, I gave five points to the team. If they could make a backcourt to frontcourt pass with a catch-and-finish or a catch-and-shoot, and that resulted – if they made it, that's five points. So what does that do? Well – it, you hope it produces kids that don't have the other four kids that don't have the ball to really sprint the floor knowing I can get five points if I rim run or I get to the corner and I spot up and get a pass ahead. It also forces TJ and Lisa, the ball handler, to push the ball up with their vision, with eyes up and be looking for those opportunities. Now, I know we're going to get into on the flip side of it, but the flip side of we a coach can make the mistake of saying, here's the game, here's five points, and this happened this morning. How many five-point buckets did we have in the first uh, five-minute five minute game? Zero, because they don't know how to do it yet. So then you have to go do the drill to help them help build some habits and learn how to really sprint the floor, how to really push the ball and have vision. Um, but that those would be some hard examples for coaches listening. Yeah, I would add that the feedback loop is really important. And so – you're going to have the goal, you're going to have the constraints, but do players understand when it, when they try to do it or when they didn't do it, uh, how to do it better, what, what went wrong. And so how we create that feedback, sometimes we assume that because they got it wrong or didn't get the points that they know what to do better the next time. And so whether it's an assistant coach, whether it's stopping it and teaching it better, I think, you know, anytime you were motivated to play a game, it becomes very quickly unmotivating if you don't know how to fix it when you get it wrong. Like video games wouldn't be fun if you didn't feel feel like you had some autonomy, some control over doing it better the next time. I think that's where players can lose interest in a game or get frustrated or feel like it's not a game at all because they're they're not, you know, part of playing a game is enjoying and choosing to play. So uh, the feedback part is the challenge that can, you know, really help coaches motivate their players. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I think another thing and two good takeaways for there that I that I want to make sure that we we catch 
but before we do that, you know, another thing that I think just going back to learn to play is just feel of the game. I mean, in general, I think a lot of times, you know, context again is like a lot of times guys play too much, you know, like they just, all they do is play pickup and they get these horrible habits. And the flip side of that is sometimes girls don't play enough pickup to get a good feel for the game, you know, and I think you can improve your feel by playing pickup. And I think that's probably just the result of like, it might be easier to find a pickup game of guys than a pickup game of girls. And so they just generally don't do that as they grow up, which can help with the feel of it. And again, there's the flip side, which can hurt is they just become a pickup basketball player that has really bad skills. It doesn't play hard enough. And so how, how do we fix that? And, you know, one, I think, putting girls into more situations where there is games where they're having to learn and play. And for guys, I think, you know, we talked about it is um, giving them restraints. And I think both of those can help. And again, there's exceptions on both ends. There's plenty of girls that play pickup and there's plenty of guys that overtrain and don't play enough pickup. I mean, there's examples on both sides. So I'm being kind of, kind of general there, but two points that I really took away from the, the learn to play that I think can make it better from you is Lisa talked about the feedback loop. Like you have to know what the feedback loop looks like. If you're not doing that, then you're just playing and there's actually not gains there. And the second one from Sam referred to earlier was making sure that you gamify this. Like how does my point system actually encourage them to look for the things that are going to make them better in the game. So when you just throw them out there and you're trying to help them learn to play, you know, I think if you were just to do those two things, you'd immediately have better games. If it was gamified with a solid feedback loop, let's jump into the second one here. I'm talking about um, just the fun aspect of it. So Sam, elaborate on that a little bit. Well, back to the question. I, I think if every coach walked into a practice um, whether you're coaching fourth graders or college players and you said, guys, girls, do you want to play games to work on X, Y, Z, whatever it is, or do you want to do drills? They're all going to say the games. That's, you know, I have kids every day out in my driveway in my yard who they just form these games and they play a game. They don't need an adult to tell them. So kids and I, I would, I mean, all three of us on this call, would you like to go out and do a bunch of drills or go play a game? We all are leaning or in, in trend towards playing games. So that's more fun. And if kids or players are having more fun, they're more engaged. If they're more engaged, they're going to potentially listen and learn better. If they listen and learn, they're going to grow better. And look, there's, there's all this gray area of you can't just play a game and say, all right, 100% of our practice is we're going to do one-on-one -on -one for 20 minutes, three-on-three -three for 30, five-on-five, and then there's no teaching or context. Or like we said earlier, Molly Miller's little skinnies, the, the teaching within the games. So there has to be that involved in it. But, yes, to stay on topic, kids do have fun, and I think that's, that's an important factor. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's really important. Sometimes as coaches we lose a little bit of touch with how it feels to be on the other side of the whistle. And so I think a lot of times we can we can go in there and, you know, the process of, all right, let's go ball handling. All right, let's go passing. OK, let's go whatever. And they just become, you know, doing drill surgeant work, going one thing after another. You know, I, I liken it as I encourage the world to play more pickleball. The uh, it's my sport that I'm learning now. And I think to your point, Sam, I definitely would rather play more games. And so and it doesn't have to just be so pickleball is usually played in, in doubles. And, yeah, I want to go play doubles or whatever. But then there's people that want to drill. So if somebody wants to sit there and drill and go cross court and they want to work on like I get really bored really quickly. 
And so a good example is, is if we were just two of us to play like skinny singles. So this is a gamifying it, play half of the court, play to 11, whatever. We still be working on the same skill, but it would be more fun because we were competing, you know, or we were to play a cross court game or whatever. So really like in any sport and any teaching that you would do in the game, in the sport, that would be an example of, of games approach rather than sitting in that drill work. And it became apparent to me when we started doing that, I was like, man, I really don't want to sit here and drill all day. Yes. I want to get better, but I don't want to sit here and drill. And so my most favorite thing to do would be to play a two on two doubles match. And I think most players in basketball would like to play five on five and compete and see who wins. And then the other end of that is to do drills and the in between that, which kind of solves a little bit of both is we are going to make sure we're working on the skills by playing games and by making sure that we gamify it um, by putting scores to it. And we're going to make the game manipulate the situation a little bit to make sure that we're getting both. We are competing, we are playing, but at the same time, we are also making sure that we're working on those skills. And I, I know we're talking about the positive now, but I think it's important for coaches to hear that because we can easily go to one or the other. We can always just play or we can just do the drills. And I think it's important for us to be on the other side of the whistle, realizing what it feels like, because I might've lost touch with that a little bit, you know, until I started doing a, a sport that I wanted to learn. I'm like, gosh, this drilling sucks. Like I don't want to be doing this all day. And so I think coaches need to put themselves in those shoes sometimes um, as, as well. Let me, let me add to that. That's a good point, TJ. I think too, that this is the art of coaching now because now the art of coaching, and I always say it, a good coach is a good salesman or saleswoman. You have to get the people you're leading to buy into what you're selling them. So, for example, you're playing a game. We're, we're, we're doing three on three and we're working on attacking closeouts and making catch reads. And there consistently becomes the wrong read being made. Well, stopping it, blowing the whistle, bringing your team and saying, hey, I want us to keep playing this game. But right now, we continue to make the wrong read. We need to go spend the next five to seven minutes drilling this, this particular thing. And we need to do it really on point. We need to have great attention to detail with great effort and energy. And then we're going to get right back into the game and, and say, you know, getting your players to buy into that. But that's where the drill, and I know the number five point is about, you know, this, but using the drill to supplement the game rather than the game to supplement the drill. Yeah. Lisa, let's move on to the next one. Do you, you alluded to it earlier about cross training, you know, and so expand on that a little bit, like where do you, where do you see this going wrong with coaches? Like, and then emphasize the positive of it because you're, what are you getting out of cross training that you don't get out of other types of training? Yeah, TJ, I think this is an interesting one because what comes to my mind is when you start cross-training or creating constraints or wanting to play a game that creates a certain environment or situation so that you're practicing what you want, I think we need to be mindful of the habits that we're building in our players. You know, I was talking to a coach about this recently about, okay, if we want to try and get this situation, maybe an advantage, then we're going to have this player close out in such a way that's really contrary to what you teach. And so they're getting reps and reps at doing something that maybe you're never going to ask them to do, or you don't want them to think that that's what the standard is for your closeouts, et cetera. Or, you know, maybe you want to create a game where only one person can dribble something like that, where now that's not very game-like because they're always going to have that option. And so uh, this might be a negative to the game's approach or just sometimes negative to just how we put constraints on our drills, but 
I'm very mindful of the habits that we're building and in, in everything that we do and making sure that, especially when you're working with young players who are just building those habits for the first time, that those things are aligned. Yeah. And I think another benefit and you, you hit on it, but you know, time, like the time we have as coaches is so limited. And to be honest with you, I think so many coaches, many, many coaches jump to, you know, gamifying right here or, 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 or small sided games because they want to try and get all of that in, but back to our point earlier, but they don't have the necessarily skills. And I think some coaches jump to the other end as they say, Hey, we have an hour and 20 minutes to practice. We're going to go 10 minutes of ball handling, 10 minutes of passing, 10 minutes of shooting. And before it's all over, they've only competed for 10 minutes and they've only shot 10 minutes of real game shots because it's nobody defending them. So they've not done that. And so what we're trying to do is morph those two things together. We're trying to, in cross training, we're trying to make sure that we're getting competition in. We're trying to make sure that in that competition, they're actually working and developing the skills. And so I I think cross training is something that's a necessity for all of us as coaches, because I don't care who you are. I've never met a coach that felt like they had too much time. Oh, we've got too much time. You know, most coaches are like, I don't have enough time. I only have one assistant coach. I only have three days of practice. But even a, a NBA coach, even a college coach, NBA coach will tell you, we, you know, we play so much. We need to get better. We need more practice time. You know, so it's from the youngest level to the highest level, time is always a concern of coaches and cross training is one of those ways that you dovetail those two together so that you ensure that you get more out of your practices. Sam, let's move on to uh, the fourth one, compete here. Uh, so, uh, you know, I know this is one you always do a really good job with with your teams. And I've watched you coach like just it, it really competitive practices. So talk to us why, you know, this is so important and why it's such a positive thing in, in when we talk about, um, you know, games approach. Yeah. So a games approach, you, you often have an offense and a defense. You're, you're competing man on man, woman on woman. And again, variety of ways doing that twos or threes or fives, whatever it is. So. In that, you're going to typically have a winner and a loser. And I think if we want more competitive players, put them in opportunities to compete where there is a winner and a loser. And Lisa and I have had many, many discussions on this. And um, I think I've helped her grow in her. I'm kidding. She's, <laughs> she's helped me, you know, see some different things, maybe my blind spot. So I do think TJ in a drill, you can make drills competitive. Don't get me wrong. And I'll talk, I've talked some of them about that at our clinics this fall. Um, you know, you can have clear endings to drills, but you're just competing. You're learning how to go against someone in a competitive environment. And that's, it's not maybe the focus, but it's a byproduct as an outcome of the game's approach. Yeah. And, how, how many of us don't wish we had a more competitive team, right? Like when we talk about the universals of coaching, we wish we had more time. We wish we had a more competitive team. And so the games approach allows you to compete. Now that can get lost in context as well. And we'll talk about this in the, in the second half of the show, but you know, just because you're out there playing doesn't mean you're competing. So just because they're out there playing pickup doesn't mean they're competing. And so there's the, the level of accountability and things like that. They go into that. Lisa, we were talking about this earlier that we've got to ensure that there's accountability to that competitiveness. Um, Lisa going to go to the last one here. Cause we're going to get to that, that flip side here in just a second, but 
it simulates a game, you know, and you've been a part of tons of practices at all levels of basketball. And, you know, I think that a lot of times there's probably not enough game situations. You know, we've got all the right drills, but we haven't actually gone in and done it. So one of the positives about the games approach is it really does simulate games. Yes. And I think, again, we have to be careful about really being able to zoom in and zoom out of whatever we're doing in practice to say, does this, you know, really replicate what's going to happen in a game? Making a decision if I'm going to, you know, drive to the paint. Well, just that action, there's a decision. So a lot of times we tell our players, like, we got to keep our head up. We got to, you know, jump stop, be on balance. But when you don't have a defender on there, and sometimes all you need is just a guided defender to say, okay, here the defense is going to come over and stop you. Now what's next? And so that guided defender lets them make that read of this is why I would stop dribbling, you know, instead of having players who are getting all these reps at getting to the paint and they're not looking at the basket. They're not being aggressive because they're just trying to get to the paint and stop or, um, you know, pitching it out to a teammate, making sure, you know, they're pitching out to an open teammate, not a guarded teammate, not, you know, the right kind of passing situation. I watched a passing drill the other day where, Everybody was making a chess pass in and outside of the paint when if you have a defender, you're going to pass around the defense. So the game likeness of the passes we're making, they really get drawn out when you are competing, when you're playing uh, in a situation with that has the context of offensive defense. But I do think we can make our drills in general just more game like by, again, being able to say, what would it look like in a game? What kind of pass will be needed? What kind of, what does on balance mean? What is the read here? You know, where would a defender be? And if we don't have the defender or the practice player to put out there or the coach, we need to provide the context so that, you know, players can really get imaginative and, you know, to get in the mindset of what's going to be required for them in a game. Yeah, it's really good. So, you know, we kind of hit on the positives of of the games approach. And I don't want to spend the whole second half like talking about all the negatives of the game approach. What I would like to do is just really quickly kind of highlight some of the negative things and things to watch out for in the games approach and then problem solve some of those. Like what are some ways that you can ensure and you're coaching, you're using the games approach properly? So tell me which ones we missed here, guys. Jump on. But, you know, I think, you know, some negatives to the game approach is that, um, you know, players are are actually just playing and they don't really have a focus into what they're getting better. I think um, another negative can often be times that the, before they actually have the necessary skills, we're throwing them into the fire just to fail and fail again. And they don't know where they're headed with it and, and, and how I'm actually getting better. What is the point of this and what is it, what is it proving to me? You know, I think another, you know, sometimes negative or something I see with coaches in the games approaches, they, they say that we're cross trained you know, multiple skills, but actually there's so many skills involved in there. They're coaching everything. So bad closeout, follow through on your shot. Da, da, da. And so we get in there and it's like, they really don't know what they're actually focusing on that game. It's just a coach coaching everything within the game. And that can be too much information, you know, for a player. And so those are a couple, what are some other things that I might've missed on, on the games approach? Well, I'll just start by something that goes along with this whole conversation is just defining the win. And and I think you can get your players to compete in the practice overall. If you define the win for the day, define the win for the drill. Uh, I think when you do a shooting drill, even if it's just them competing against themselves, you can create competition. You can create a game. Are they tracking it? Is there a time like 
that's the whole idea of competing. And that's the conversation that, you know, Sam and I recently had is that it makes you better, that it makes you, it draws out the best in you because you're trying to win. So define the win and whatever we do. I think that goes to your point, TJ, just again, this is supplemental to the conversation about, you know, playing three V three. What's the win here. It's not only that you get the more, get more points in your team, but it, what are the skills that we're drawing out? What is it going to be their focus and making sure you're coaching those things. And so you, again, you're not coaching everything, like you said. Yeah. And we talked earlier about not having context for why they're doing what they're doing. So they don't really have a mission, which goes back to your defining the win right there. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. The general thing that that I see goes wrong is there's no why behind the what we're just playing. That's the, the biggest games approach mistake that I see made is that the, the coach can't even define the win. We're just playing this. We're just doing this. Uh, hey, let's go three on three, you know, in this setting over here, but they really don't know what they're looking for. And so, and, and the flip side of that is they're, they're just coaching everything, but neither one of those is defined a win. So let's talk about some ways. So as we wrap up here, for coaches, like what are things you can do if you're going to use the games approach, which we all agree is a good approach when used right. How can you ensure that you are using it properly? And I think we've hit on a lot of these, but I want to make sure that we just kind of bring them home for coaches. And I'm going to just talk about maybe a couple of things. So one, I think defining the win, I think oftentimes like reference points or points of emphasis. So let's say that we go into the games approach and you see us do this at PGC, like Hey, we want every player to catch on balance. We want every player to peek at the rim. We want every player to be ball strong. You know, some simple things like that. Well, if those are the points of emphasis and oftentimes being more specific, I think you should go into your games with no more than three points of emphasis, because I think when you have four or five or multiple points of emphasis beyond three, it just gets hard to know what I'm focusing on. So if we were to go in and play a game and every catch had to be on balance, Every time you caught it, you needed to peek at the rim. And every time somebody was in your bubble, you needed to use a particular rip that, that, that you were working on. So really, we're working on the, the catch. You know, like th- this game is to ensure that we are catching the ball well so that we can be a playmaker. And so I'm going to make sure I peek at the rim to keep the defense honest. I'm going to make sure that I'm strong with the ball and they do. And I'm not going to catch off balance. so I don't travel. So you could play three on three, four on four, three on two, whatever game you wanted to play in that scenario. And I found ourselves doing this today with college players is that we very quickly when we got into the game, realized all of our players were playing too fast. They were just going. They were putting the ball on the deck. They were trying to, you know, it's like, whoa, slow down. First of all, we have to be good receivers of the ball, right? You could flip that and you could go to a place where it's just all about passing. So it has to be step into your pass. If you don't, it's a violation of a turnover. You, uh, you know, it could be all about the passing, the receiving. It could be, be all about, you know, the catch moves. What am I going to do when I catch? It could be all about the reads. There could be any number of things that you wanted to emphasize. But I do think it's really important that coaches define the win, like Lisa said, which is the points of emphasis. These are the three things that we're really working on. This is how you can be successful. If you're catching on balance, if you're peeking at the rim and you're ripping through to get people out of your bubble, that's the win. You're going to be really successful. Now, the actual game may be that you lose if you don't do those things. So you're trying to win. You're trying to do these things three really well. So points of emphasis, POEs, I think on any game that you go into can really help clean up your games. Let me let me add one to that real quick, TJ, because I think it'll be important for coaches to hear this is um, 
depending on age and stage you coach, what you just said, I agree with what you said. If you're coaching younger players, I would argue don't give them all three right away. Layer them in as you go. And and two, I agree wholeheartedly. Sometimes we give them too many constraints, too much to think about. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, that's good. Actually, I'll jump to my next point because I think it plays off what you said, I think, which is accurate, is a lot of really good ways to play games is to progress. And so I'm going to give you two examples of progressions and you guys add on to this. So it might be that I'm just going to stay with the game we're playing, that maybe we break down the skill and we do drills on jump stops and then we work on C rips. Right. And then we work on every time we catch, giving a shot fake to the rim to make sure that we're our eyes are going there. So maybe we just go through the individual skills. Then we get into the game and those are the rules. That's one way to progress through it. Another way to progress through it might be that we go into the game and the first thing they have to do is you have to catch on balance. And that's the only rule. We're playing for, for 12 minutes, the first four minutes, uh, the second four minutes. You have to catch on balance and peek at the rim every time. So now there's two. And the third, you have to, you know, catch on balance, peak. And when somebody's in your bubble, you have to rip through with a C rip. That's another way to progress it. But a lot of times building up for the learner can be really, really helpful. Any thoughts on that, guys? No, I agree. I mean, it's a, it's a really important teaching tactic. Um, I do want to say back to your point one real quick, like, the game's approach, don't mistake activity for achievement, John Wooden quote. So don't just assume that you're playing a game, that you're getting better. I, I agree with that. And then your, your second point, the skills, um, you know, I think you said, TJ, you're set, like something about, hey, we're playing a game and we don't even have the skills to play the game. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. Yeah. So I would I would say, yes, the but the game exposes the lack of skills. So play the game, let the reveal, reveal the lack of skill or, Hey, you have the whole left side of the floor open. You had 25 feet, but you went back right because you have a habit and you, you don't have a good weekend. So then you go drill weekend attacks. So I think, I think the, it, that's a good thing that it can expose not having the necessary skills. It, it goes back to context. So coaches, this is where it's really important. And so we talked about when I was giving the progressions example, you are using the game to teach. So you're building up the progression to teach them a particular skill. What Sam just gave you was another example of a positive ways to use games approach is rather than you actually having a desired outcome, you go there and give them the game and learn what they do well and what they don't do well. And that could lead to your drills the next day. So for example, we, we did that today in our practice, we went through and we quickly identified multiple skills that they did not have to be successful in this game. So that might go back to our individual skill work so that we want to build up those skills so that next time when we play the game, they have a better understanding and then we're going to learn more. So I think the one thing that we haven't talked a lot about that I think is a really positive, a games approach is it can help us as the teacher learn what we need to teach. We might not know what we need to be teaching in our skill development until we see the mistakes happen. And we have to be okay with those mistakes happening. And I think that's another positive and feel free to expand on this, but is when, when we're watching players fail, it's giving us instant feedback on what we need to do better as coaches and how we can help them more. 
Well, and Lisa, you may have something to say on this. I, I think this actually really pertains to your situation right now. You coached at the Division One level for a decade, and now you're going to go in and help with a local high school team. Well, you you've not you've coached high school kids who then came in as college players, but you've never coached a JV high school team for a year. And you going in and just if you just observe and watch them play. It's going if you just watch them play pickup ball for three days in a row, it's going to allow you to be a much better teacher and coach of those girls rather than if you had never seen them play. You go in and you take your your best practice plans from St. Mary's and try to implement it. That would possibly be a a slower, more frustrating and just not a more productive uh, approach by you rather than what, you know, to TJ's point, watch them play. Okay. Okay. They don't do that well. They don't do. Okay. We, we're going to have to work on these three things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think developing the foundational skill sets is really important so that you can set them up for success, to enjoy the game, to have fun. And, and I think one of my points for coaches to remember is just that there's keeping in mind the individual experience and the team experience. And I think sometimes when it just becomes winners and losers or five V five and, and, and team wins, sometimes rightfully so players learn how to put teammates in positions to be successful. And you see certain players now gravitate towards, Oh, I'm not going to handle the ball because I don't want my team to lose. Okay. Well, are, is that player now getting the right reps at improving in a skill set that they need? Like that should start to open your eyes. And two, if, if they're putting that player in a position to be unsuccessful over and over, then you're kind of like, Hey guys, do we know our personnel? Do we, are we, are we helping each other out? Are we talking and communicating so that we can win the game? So we have to be really mindful of, again, the win and the individual player and their improvement and then the team improvement, the team dynamics, how you create the teams. Uh, and, you know, are you playing in small groups? Are you tracking wins over the practice, over the season? And because, you know, that can be a fun motivator as well, a goal. That's a way to gamify the practices. Uh, and so, my caution is I think games approach should require a more preparation from coaches. And so sometimes you just got to start small. It's got to be, keep it simple so that you can expand it over time, but you can't walk into a practice. And like we're saying, just play a game and assume things are going to go the right way. There's a lot of preparation as to just that process of zooming in and zooming out and making sure that it's, it's really helping your team and helping your players. Yeah, I got two final points here to wrap us up. And if you have anything to add at the end, please let me know. But, you know, two things that I really feel passionate about with coaches is that we cannot coach in a silo. And you've heard me talk about this in multiple ways. Like, you know, you cannot um, run, you know, let's say we're going to run pack line defense and we're going to try and score 120 points a game. Like your things have to flow. And so you can't just go watch a defense and pick it go watch an offense and pick it and not even consider how those two things mesh together. Same thing with this games approach in in silo coaching and coaches do this all the time, plug a hole. I'll watch a shooting drill and they'll be running flare screen threes. And I'll be like, Oh, that's a nice drill. You guys shoot a lot of uh, what offense do you run? Oh, we run this pick. Do you run a lot of flare screens? No, not really. Okay. Why are you doing that drill? Oh, I learned this from so-and-so at the university of so-and-so, and it's a great shooting drill, but it doesn't translate to what you're actually going to be doing in a game. 
And so you cannot coach in a silo. You cannot go watch a video and say, oh man, this coach made a great case for game co- games-based coaching. So now I'm going to games-based or games approach coaching and I'm going to do it. And then you do it and you go out there and there's actually no why behind it. You don't have the points of emphasis. They don't have context. They don't have it. And so all of a sudden you're just doing this to be doing it, but you don't have that silo coaching. You've got to have the depth. And my second point would be this, be able to answer why. And I was meeting with my new assistant coach today and I said, hey, I want you to build out some progressions of our ball handling. I want our language to get really sticky. I want to be able to progress these players through the first eight minutes of practice to make sure we're getting ball handling. I said, but I want you to know ahead of time that whatever you give me, my first question is going to be why. And then after you explain it, my second question is probably going to be why. And so be concrete on why you're doing what you're doing. I think if you can answer those and someone is to say, hey, why are you running the games approach? Well, I'm running the games approach because it's a lot of fun. I'm doing it because we've developed these skills and I want to put them to test. We're doing it because they're going to be able to cross train. Now that we've developed the skill, we're putting it into game action. We're doing it because we need a more competitive team to see if these skills hold up against the fire of defense or the fire of a fast paced offense. Like those are all really good whys, but you can't just stop with, well, it's fun, right? Like that's probably not going to get your team where you want them to get. Like you're going to have to go deeper into the why. Uh, besides just something pretty surface or just a pretty quick answer. So the deeper you can drill into why and you feel, I think you're going to be a better coach because you're going to feel passionate about we're doing it because of A, we're doing it because of B, we're doing it because of C, and it's going to make us a better team. And my players are going to have fun doing it. Great. I love it. So if you can really give a solid why your games approach, like I'm all for it. I think it's a great way to train the game of basketball. If you can't really answer the whys and you just saw it somewhere and you're putting it in because you thought it looked cute, I don't think that's really going to make your team better. And I don't think that's going to make you a better coach. Yeah, I think that's critical. The why is really, really good point, TJ. There's three final things I got. One is something you said earlier about the, you know, the counter to the cross training and like, hey, we're going to work on closeouts. We're going to work on offense transition. Um, I think that you can be cross training is important. And that's where use of your staff matters like getting one staff member to focus on defense during the game's approach, one staff member to focus on offense. Maybe the head coach is seen holistically and some people listening are like, well, I don't have a staff. Okay. Well then you just focus your eyes on one thing on offense, one thing on D. Second point I want to make is games approach by itself without the teaching supplementation is not going to be as strong. Yes. I do think you could say we're going to play this game and your kids are going to get better with whatever constraints and violations, but you got to supplement games approach with real teaching. Um, the third is we live in an overly skilled, underlearned basketball world. You, TJ, probably have kids on your team that can pr- probably make some pretty impressive one-on-one moves, right? Like some step back, some like, some like pretty cool, like offensive playmaking moves that they've watched and they've worked on. The problem is they probably don't use them in the right time. Not, not your better players, but there's a lot of players that predetermined moves. They're super skilled, but they don't know why they're doing it. And they don't know when to use it in the game. And that's where, you know, games approach supplemented with really good guided defense teaching and, and, yeah, I think it's really important. So I think for those reasons, it's really important to look at incorporating your games approach into your practices. Yeah. 
So coaches, hopefully that was helpful. Use the games approach. Just we're not encouraging you not to use, we're encouraging you to use it, but make sure that you're using it to its full potential and you're able to answer all of these questions. And so any anything that you learn, whether it's skill development, games approach, teaching through playing five on five, whatever it is that you want to do, just make sure that you're really good at it because we want your teaching methods to really translate so that you can you can make the the most out of your coaching and give the, your team the highest roof or higher ceiling you could possibly give them. So hopefully coaches, this was helpful. We'd love to hear any questions or thoughts that you have at, at uh, underscore hardwood hustle. We'd love to hear um, you tweet it out and we'd be happy to respond to those, those questions. If you have any um, Lisa, thanks for joining. She is Lisa, Sam. Thank you for joining. He is Sam and I am TJ and we are the hardwood hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Harwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. Don't forget, we have our upcoming PGC coaching clinics, and there's still time to join us. We have more dates and locations left to choose from, and each clinic will feature a variety of topics and speakers, which you can check out now at pgccoaching.com backslash clinics. That's pgccoaching.com backslash clinics. From The Harwood Hustle team, our goal is to bring you quality content and journey with you as a coach. We'd love to have you share our episodes with coaching friends so we can continue to grow our community of coaches. First things first, make sure you follow us on Twitter at hardwood underscore hustle, where you can like, share, and stay up to date. We appreciate you and can't wait to be with you again next week.